0: Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the second of our Hobbit Spoiler Special Podcasts. The last one, if you haven't heard it, features Hobbit co-writer Philippa Boyan's waxy and lyrical on the scriptwriting process and is well worth a listen. This one, on the other hand, is simply an in-depth discussion of the film in wonderfully spoilery detail. And help me out on this perilous quest are three noble warriors who may be small in stature, but they're big in hobbity nuggets. It's Helen O'Hara. Hello. Dan Jolin. Well met, my friend. <laughs> and Nick DeSimlian. Hello! Hello, indeed. Uh, Let's get cracking. I'm going to be organised and try and break us into sections and questions that you guys have been sending us via Twitter, Facebook, and our podcast at TheEmpireOnline.com account. Uh, So this one is on Twitter. It's from at H2DB. Uh, When Gandalf sees Bilbo put the ring in his pocket, is this implying he always knew he had the ring?
1: It's kind of implied in The Lord of the Rings, if I remember, when when Gandalf uh, talks about uh, Bilbo having the ring, obviously by that stage he knows what it is. He, he figures out what it is exactly at the beginning of uh, The Lord of the Rings. Mm. He knows there's something going on. He knows there's something there. He knows Bilbo it? has something. He doesn't know exactly what that is at this point mm. in The Hobbit.
0: I can't to, remember. He has, he has to go to the library. Yeah, Oops. he goes Look to Gondor. Up. Oh, so he finds out what it is. So at, this, yeah. at the, this point in The Hobbit, he he just knows that Bilbo's hiding something, but he yes. doesn't know exactly what it is. Yeah, And so... I, it's been a while since I read The Hobbit, so refresh my memory. Does the ring play a major part going forth?
1: Uh, in, the Hobbit,
2: in, in The Hobbit. Invisibility
1: does play a yeah. part uh, in Mirkwood against the dangers there, and also mm-hmm. when they get to the Lonely Mountain. And the Elf King's Hall. Uh, yes, well, yeah. which is in Mirkwood. Okay. And uh, and then uh, later at the Lonely Mountain, it's what enables him to get in there and, uh, and first sort of encounter Smog. Smog can't see him, but becomes aware that there's something there over time.
3: Mm. Ah, yeah, okay. I, I went back and looked at the book again this morning and looked up, and there is a moment in the book in The Hobbit where Gandalf looks suspicious, even though when Tolkien wrote that he didn't know that Lord of the Rings was coming.
2: Uh, he actually okay. went back and and rewrote sections of The Hobbit to he make did, it yes. tie in more closely with The Lord of the Rings. So that was probably from the more recent edition. I don't think there's many copies of the original edition because originally it was just a magic ring that made him invisible, and then he later on had this whole idea. Yeah, think
3: like yeah.
2: it
0: was still in the in the first draft, actually. But, was it? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Is there a so, sense in the Hobbit? Again, refresh my memory uh, that the ring is corrupting Bilbo at some and doing what it does to Frodo. Uh,
1: no, it's a, it's a slower process than that. So, in the, I mean, again, as as Dan said, basically the uh, the 1950, I think it was mm-hmm. rewrite of uh, of the Hobbit is what introduced what the now familiar elements. The, the riddle scene was completely different in the original book. Actually, Gollum was a better guy. Um, Bilbo picks up the ring, hides it in his pocket. And they are riddling for the ring. Golem Gollum says he'll promises he'll give Bilbo the ring if he wins if he wins the riddle contest. And and then Gollum is mortified that he doesn't have the ring to give him and feels like he's, you know, let Bilbo die. And Bilbo doesn't bother to enlighten him and gets him to show him the way out as well. So actually Bilbo's very sneaky in the in the very original draft of The Hobbit and Gollum's actually an okay guy. What, what a dick. I know, right? So that's why he changed it.
0: <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, so that's that one sorted out. This one's from uh, uh, at Timon Singh on uh, Twitter. Uh, Did Richard Armitage, a.k.a. Thorin Oakenshield, have enough slow-mo hero action shots or not enough? (laughs) Where do we stand on the ratio?
1: Well, that's
2: a loaded question.
1: (laughs) I will say that I think that the, the shot of him which I think is in the trailer as well so people have seen of him walking uh, away from the burning tree very very closely for me echoed the scene at the end of Fellowship of the Ring where Aragorn's walking towards the orcs as they come up um, as they come up the hill, just taking his sword out, it's, it, I think it's a, del- a very deliberate echo, um, but it, it very many. much matches. Yes, but it very much <laughs> matches that shot.
3: He doesn't have quite as good a door opening moment as Aragorn in The Two Towers. <laughs> it's probably the most dramatic opening of the door <laughs> in mm. cinema. Can... Borin just goes, oh, "There's a there's a very good knock, yeah, the
0: yeah. door opening." Yeah. He been. is the one who knocks. Yeah,
1: we we, we can hope that uh, he ends up with as good a one in the second, <laughs> in the second yeah, film.
0: There are more do- there are more doors to come. <laughs> Breaking Radagast. <laughs> The, the treatment of the dwarves in The Hobbit is very, very interesting because previously in the, in the three movies, and I know Nick and Dan are huge fans of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I am less so, so it be interesting to see what you guys think about this. Um, Gimli yes, in the is seen largely, I think, as comic relief, and so it's interesting to me to see dwarves that were meant to take seriously and meant to almost treat them as, as heroes. That's disgusting. That, that attitude that. is terrible. It's not, I'm not being dwarfist. Oh, it's Dwarves to be taken seriously. I've turned <laughs> into Carl Pilkington, but... You know, it's, it's it's an interesting shift in tone. And, well, uh, obviously,
2: focus. it's a different thing, isn't it? Because Gimli is is the only dwarf, you know, and he has that role in the fellowship, which falls into mostly a comic relief one, not not quite as bad as uh, uh, Merry and Pippin. Um, but here, the whole group of dwarves. So obviously, you're going to have different flavors of dwarf. Mm. Fifty Shades of Dwarf.
1: Oh, please no! <laughs> oh God. <laughs>
0: The spin-off's happening. <laughs> you know what's happening. And what about the, uh, for example, uh, some people have written in about this as well, uh, the fact that, for example, Killy, uh, the Aiden Turner character, mm-hmm. has virtually no prosthetics whatsoever. Richard Armitage has very few prosthetics and there's a couple of dwarfs that are almost hunky in, maybe, a, in a weird way. Maybe he is seen as a freakishly ugly dwarf
3: because <laughs> he, he looks so human-like. <laughs> He's shunned.
2: There's an age range. There is that. There's yeah. a great age range. Philly and Killy are actually very, very young dwarves. Yeah. Whereas you get up to uh, Balin, and he's clearly, clearly of advanced years. So, uh, you know, I think, I think they say that your nose and your chin never stop growing, do they? Those,
1: right, you never yeah, stop yeah,
2: growing. So you can imagine how, with dwarves who live over hundreds of years, there would be a greater uh, change in their physical appearance over that time.
1: It's effective as well in just helping us keep track of these fourteen different or thirteen different dwarves, mm. which I think could otherwise be a, diff- a, a difficult thing. You know, ultimately, having at least one guy without a beard does does really help things. Also, mm. you know, Eärendil is very pretty, so he is. he's <laughs> not
2: bad.
0: Okay, and um, what about the structural comparisons to Lord of the Rings?
1: Well, I mean, people have have remarked uh, extensively on the structural similarities of this story and Fellowship of the Ring I mean they get to the other side of the Misty Mountains uh, so it's it's roughly the same kind of journey starting off in Hobbiton um, you know you've, you've got a big action scene under the mountains you've got uh, a stop off in Rivendell just before that mm. you've got a couple of you know uh, near things near run-ins uh, just prior to getting to Rivendell so you know a lot of the beats are the same but then if you're turning that book into three films that's kind of inevitable, you know, in its, in just its, because of the starting point.
2: In its favour, there is only one elf stop, whereas in Fellowship, there were two. And I always thought if they were, you know, I always felt, even though I do love Fellowship of the Ring, I felt they could have maybe melded the two elf stops in some
1: way. <gasps> Mels, Rivendell and Lorien. <laughs> have you no idea of the cultural significance well, of both? In this
2: one, Galadriel, you know, she whatever, she actually projects herself into, into Rivendell, doesn't she? So she can be there. You still have a Galadriel, but it's in Rivendell. They could have done that, couldn't they? A fellowship, rather than all that other, you know, singing elves thing.
3: You're saying Galadriel was too lazy to come down to Rivendell? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Save from time. Yeah, she should shake her leg. I like the Love, Florian sequence. I think it's cool. I do too. It's, it's kind of it's oh, a different I like, side of the val- oh, no, it's, the it's important. Side. It's, it, yes. All oh, right. Okay. There is that. It's important to the story, but I'm just saying. You know, you could have there could have been a case for ad- ad- adapting the two into one. I don't know. I don't agree.
0: Fair enough. Jewel. Fight. Fight him. Uh, well, I guess it raises a larger point as well. A lot of people have raised this in the past. Uh, does this need to be three films? We talked about this when the mm. announcement was first made. Uh, we were wondering at the time, and now we know where this movie ends off and what roughly movies two and three are going to tackle, but do we still think that it needs to be three films? I have some thoughts on what could
3: potentially have been cut, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. I think Mm -hmm. the Frodo stuff, as much as I like Frodo, I think that there's ten minutes there, which could have easily gone. It doesn't really add much. You find out the backstory of the party invite, but... Other than that, and I also thought the the first warg attack. I didn't think you needed to have two action sequences with wargs. I thought that that sequence was quite geographically confused as well. So to me, it looked like they were in Rohan.
1: Mm. I, I I agree. Actually, I I I think the one thing I would immediately change if I were given this this film and some scissors is Azog. Um, I feel like you have, you know, it, it's kind of in the book uh, to to whatever extent you have. Uh, obviously, Thorin has issues with Smaug the dragon. Uh, he has issues with the elves, and that—that that again is—is is hinted at, maybe not fully developed in the book, but it's very much there. So I'm—I I'm, was okay with with the sort of the setup of a grudge against Thranduil. I was okay with the setup of a grudge against the dragon. Um, but introducing this random orc who's got a personal issue with Thorne, you begin to wonder if it's Thorne himself. Is he the guy?
0: To an extent, I get that, but uh, they're not going to change the book enough so that obviously Thorne kills Smaug, and and sure, he's not going to bump off any elves. So I can see why they gave him an nemesis, because he's going to have a moment of triumph over Azog at some point in the second or third of the movie, surely.
3: Uh, they're actually going to introduce another orc called Bolg, B-O-L-G, who is the son of Azog. And um, when I interviewed Richard Taylor, he mentioned that he's he's got a pretty extreme look. He's got a Mordor uh, sort of surgery happening with his, bits of his face bolted together and stuff. So there's going to be a father and son team coming up against
1: him. Oh, I, I, I felt like that was just a, a grudge too far. It's like there there are orcs, okay, They're, they're bad guys. They're all bad guys. They're by nature, they're twisted and evil. They have been twisted and therefore they're gonna chase you anyway. You don't need a personal grudge. And that was. One of my major issues, I thought that could have been cut. I I do feel like I have some sympathy with the idea of making The Hobbit as two movies, I have to say. I I think given that it is a linear story, given that so many people love so many different elements of it, it would be a very, very difficult thing to do in one movie and keep what people love about the book. Um, Whether it needs to be three movies, I think is, is slightly another issue. And also whether they need to be, if they're all this length, I think it might feel a little bit slow. I'm,
2: I, actually, I've got to say, I'm getting quite exasperated by people are going, oh, look, it's only that big, the book. How can they make three films out of that? It's a smaller book than Lord of the Rings because mm-hmm. of the way it's written. In terms of incident... In well, terms of like what quite, happens, yeah. it's not that much a smaller story, to be honest.
1: Yeah, well, I, I have a lot of sympathy with with that argument. Yeah. And I also think a lot of what they've done to kind of make the story longer and, and give it the kind of depth and the mm. tone that Lord of the Rings had, I think a lot of that is really, really successful. Yeah. I'm really excited to see them going up against the necromancer on screen. I'm really excited mm. to see that whole side of things kind mm. of tackled on screen because I think that's it's one of the great intriguing off-page incidents in literature never mind just in, in in Tolkien's work and therefore I think it's you know that kind of stuff is really exciting to me I like that they've developed the whole the role of the elves I'd like yeah. that that's all happening I just felt that some issues in particularly Azog I felt was introduced for purely cinematic uh, structuring issues and not because you know uh narratively he needed to be there and that was my issue
3: yeah i I wouldn 't have had such a bigger problem with that character if he 'd been a bit more interestingly written. There is a scene where he dispenses one of his minions that that you 've seen a hundred times before in films, and they didn 't really do anything interesting or special with it.
2: Hmm. I just thought that was a pointless scene for generic I, I did think they found a nice uh, a nice structure for the film in terms and character terms for Bilbo um, yeah. the sort of pointing out this idea. Which, which actually I never really got from the book. It was never really sold in the book by Tolkien, but I love this idea that the dwarves are a people who have lost their home. Mm. They're all refugees. And this is what the quest for Erebor is about, ultimately, about finding their home, about regaining their home. I mean, we get a bit of that with the, with the idea of Moria and the, the, the significance of Moria to the dwarves in, in The Lord of the Rings. But, um, and this idea that Bilbo has you know his Turkish side has got the better of him and he's off on this adventure and he keeps questioning why, why the hell am I here
1: yeah what am I doing and this happens
2: this does happen in the book he keeps he keeps you know dreaming of being back in his armchair and I was just saying to himself what am I doing and uh, mine Freeman and the script sold that really well in this yeah. film and I love the fact that the film's structure was around him realising what it was at the heart of his motives for joining them and he realises and you know there is that moment where he almost says you know I'll sob this and go home." Which which doesn't happen in the book either. And then he realises, hang on a minute. I want to go home because I love my home. These guys have got no home to go to. And then it becomes all about his love for his home. Weirdly becomes his motivation for helping. Them. I thought that was beautiful storytelling. Yeah. Beautiful adaptation. So that gave them a free pass and I'll let them off the Azog business. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm not sure about the free pass but I did like that as well. I thought Martin Freeman just generally was absolutely terrific at yes. still I can't imagine anyone else doing nearly as good a job.
3: Yeah. Although Thorin does have a bit of a psych out moment where he's like
0: you, hey you guy. <laughs> just <my> big hug. <laughs> <laughs> I love ya. Interesting Tom, about Azog. A couple of people uh, tweeted in uh, which confused me a little bit. They were asking about the CGI effects in The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Jackson's decision to go largely CGI with this as opposed to practical effects in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, and Nick... You can probably correct me on this one. I thought Azog was played by a guy in prosthetics. He's not. Is he CG? I'm confused. No, he's not prosthetics. He's, no, it's, it's, mo-cap. Mo- it's
3: mocap. It's mocap. Same as, uh, well, performance capture, yeah. Same wow. as Gollum. But to me, that character looked blatantly CG in a way that Gollum didn't. I don't know. Why exactly? It
0: didn't, it didn't work
3: for me. I, I thought
0: it was a guy wearing a suit. So,
3: it uh, looked to me like the engineer in Prometheus. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. That's exactly the comparison I was going to make. Which I think was
3: the same thing. There was a, there was a, a British young British drama student mm. who played the engineer. But again, it had a, a weird sort of CG sheen to the there, character. There
1: was just that little bit of shininess, that little bit of, I don't know, something. Yeah,
2: a bit waxy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I thought the, the it was obviously. Uh, yeah, I thought it was obvious. You know, it was mo I you know, uh, but I d- didn't have a problem with it, I, you know. Certainly no more than I, I did with Gollum in the first uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. I, yeah. w- I, in, in other words, not at all. I, yeah, I, go, I really did. Even I, though I, I, I could I, see and, it. And with
3: the goblins generally, I, I thought that I, I loved those glimpses in Fellowship when they're surrounded by all the goblins and they, Jackson does all these close shots of mm. these hideous, you know, they're they're clearly real real Mm. practical things, but they look like -like bug-like and hideous and Mm. nightmarish. And in this, I thought the goblins looked sort of a bit kind of lumpy and samey
0: and fake. Okay, to me that that yeah. was a, that was a, a sort of heave that I had. With it. I clearly need to uh, go down to the, my nearest Specsavers because <laughs> not only did I think 48 frames per second was was fine, I thought that Azog was a guy in a suit. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm worried. Are you actually here? Can I actually see? Oh my god! I need. I've got problems.
1: No, we're um, all played by Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis <laughs> is playing us right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> He's always playing us. Uh, Johan Carlson on Twitter at uh, Rukula asks. Uh, related question, I guess. What do you think of the design choices of effects, the the, the trolls, the Goblin King, etc. Uh, we've kind of answered that one, haven't we?
2: In no yeah. yeah, a way, yeah. The on. trolls look great. I like the one with the the roomy eye. Hmm. Yeah, they look good, and the Goblin King looked great as well. It's like repulsive, properly repulsive. The Goblin King
0: looked CG to me. I mean, someone said to me before going in, he's a bit like Boss Naz. Uh, and he's not. And he's got these massive testicles hanging down from his chin, which which, which was weird and and kind of uh, off putting, but. Yeah, you know, when he's played by Barry Humphreys, I thought I was expecting a sort of Les Patterson kind of character, but he's not that. He's, I was expecting he, Day He's Day fine Night as now. a character, but I don't think the, the effect works. Entirely, yeah, Dame <laughs> that would have been really fun. Um, uh, someone else has written in. Hang on, two seconds. Uh, David Heslop talking about the uh, 48 frames per second, the HFR controversy. I mm. don't know if it is a controversy, whether people are just getting their, their knickers in the twist or for nothing. Uh, he says he thought that the HFR made the transition between CG and live action seamless, and the Goblin Town was the greatest CG location I've ever seen. Agree?
2: Disagree? Well, I mean, that's. I mean, it's, it's good to actually have a positive question, <laughs> as opposed to trying to lead us into making criticisms. Um, I I wasn't sold on HFR forty eight fps myself. Um, I think that twenty eight twenty four frames per second, I think, has become a very important part of the suspension of disbelief process of watching a film. Um, kind of like you know the distance between where you're sitting in a theatre and the stage. Um, That's kind of my my wonky analogy is would uh, would have play be as good if you were sat on the stage with the actors? No, you'd be sitting right next to them. You'd be going, "Look at that makeup! That's ridiculous! All that eyeshadow, um, or, or maybe sorry, eyeliner."
1: Okay, all that <laughs> eyeliner.
2: Um, makeup confusion. Um, so I kind of felt that the, the you know the, the the loss of the blurring in a way uh, sharpened it up just just that much too much for a. Uh, Fantasy, visual effects, spectacular. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see more nature documentaries, big screen nature documentaries done in 48 frames per second. That would be amazing. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't enjoy it for this kind of film. I thought it would have benefited from the graininess and the motion blur. I mentioned it
3: to David Attenborough last week when we interviewed him. Oh yeah. And uh, said you should do some IMAX things. He didn't seem to know too much about it, but mm. hopefully we'll get on it now.
2: Yeah, good. I'm glad you pointed it out to him.
0: Okay, <laughs> uh, because this is a uh, spoiler podcast, let's talk about some of the, uh, I guess, the second and third act developments. Sure, and uh, maybe some of the characters in, in greater detail. Let's start with um, Radagast mm. Radagast the Brown, played by Sylvester McCoy, uh, an interesting character, a lighter character in the in the context of the film. What do we think of him?
1: I like him. I didn't necessarily like all the business around him. That's my kind of overall impression you know i i I mean radagast is like a paragraph in fellowship of the ring you know he's mentioned as the other uh, the other wizard and we barely get to any detail on him but he's always been again one of these great sort of off-page intriguing figures in in middle earth and and it was really exciting to see that he was going to be in this and that he was going to play a part um so and i think that sylvester mccoy does a really fantastic job you've got to have him enough of a wizard to kind of stand next to Gandalf and not look silly. But at the same time he's got to be different enough to to really stand apart. And I think he, he absolutely did that. What I didn't love was all you know, the business with hedgehogs and and bunny sleighs and, and Are you a
0: Sebastian the hedgehog hater? Is that what you are?
1: Well, I couldn't hate a hedgehog like that. It's a very cute hedgehog. But it it, it I dunno, it just um it, it verged on too cute. I think the things together, you know, it, it kind of built up and built up and felt a bit too cute overall. I think, you know, the idea of him being very close to nature kind of worked. I think the idea of, you know, the, the literal bird's nest in his hair, I thought was was clever and funny. I mean, he's literally got, you know, bird shit in his hair. It's kind of fun. Uh, not in real life, just on screen. Uh, but, you know, if you add in together cute hedgehogs and cute bunnies and the slaying, and his own sense of quirk, it begins to be a bit sort of adorable and uh, and a little bit too Zooey Deschanel.
3: I liked it. Uh, it's quite a Tom Bombadilly character in a way. <laughs> it's interesting that Jackson cut Tom Bombadil out of The Lord of the Rings, but mm. has actually inserted a character who is kind of on the same wavelength. Mm. And I, I actually really like the character. I, I'm really looking forward. I, I'm guessing that in the second and third films, he's really going to come into play.
1: I think so too. And I think it's, if we're being spoilerific, let's be honest, it's probably not going to end well for him. I <laughs>
2: suspect he's going to die. I yeah. think he's going to die. Do you, do you think he'll go boss-eyed before the final moment?
3: <laughs> oh, God. Hopefully the rabbits live. I'm worried about them. Yeah, I, there's, there's, think, a really uh, nice, there's a really nice touch with the rabbits when he's at D'Orgadur and the vampire bats <laughs> come and start attacking and one of the rabbits is just thumping its leg up and down Yes, while it's waiting for him to run back. I yeah. really like that. That was a really nice touch. I mean, the animals did look a, a bit too CG. You know, I, It's like with the gopher and... Um, Crystal Skull. Couldn't they find a real hedgehog? <laughs> Not one that could act. With the uh, it wasn't doing that much acting. It was hedgehog oh, should no. have had the
2: voice of Ray Winstone That would, have been, <laughs> that, would have been, that would have been amazing. <laughs> Play yeah. the beanie last time. Well, yeah. That's what I'm saying. All right. I, I, I think in terms of nice touches, I really like that little bit of dialogue when uh, Bilbo was asking uh, Gandalf about who all the wizards were. Who mm-hmm. are the wizards? And uh, I love the fact that there's two wizards that you just can't remember remember what their names names are. (laughs) Do they come into play in it? (laughs) No, I don't think they they will. uh,
1: They've basically never come into play in anything. Mm. We we know that they exist, but they've never been relevant to anything and therefore they just don't get
0: mentioned. Mm. Why doesn't Gandalf do magic more often?
1: Because shut up.
2: Because, because shut up. Because it's he has to harness power in order to do it. He has to he? plug
3: his staff into the mains to recharge it. Yeah,
2: it's, it's you know he, he, he has to call upon his mana. <laughs> you see, and his mana reserves are not limitless, Chris. All right, sorry. I'm, I'm becoming frightened of Dan.
0: Sorry, uh, I I didn't mind Radagast, Interestingly enough, um, he's fine. I liked
3: I him. I liked it's like it's like annoying, him. It's slightly annoying, but I love Sebastian. I liked him as a mean. character. The, the sled, the sled uh, chase was slightly...
0: The rabbit sled is the must-have toy of... Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't care if they have a it. I want one. And if I have to attach real rabbits to a sled in order to get it, I will do so. They enjoy it. But I like, like, it. Huskies. Love it. like huskies. Yeah. Like, I, love absolutely, en- love it. I
3: love the energy of McCoy's, that that, uh, yeah. uh, that first moment where his eyes are kind of, you know, he's doing that, that kind of weird monologue and the spiders are creeping up on the hut that was one of my favourite mm. sequences in the film mm. I really loved it it had Feels that, like kind old of, it sk- has that kind of twitchy energy
0: of old school Jackson, Jackson yeah. yeah it did it yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely alright so Radagast um, someone had, had a question actually why is Radagast in this film and he's only mentioned in the book we kind of covered that one but he never meets up with the dwarves
2: and he kind of does in this one he, you know, I mean, he's leading them away, leading the war. It's a clever of... thing. It's, it's called an adaptation. It's quite quite cunning where you oh, take Dan. elements of the story from oh, the source material. don't have to be so glib. And then you just kind of, you know, play around with them to make them more cinematic, God forbid, and uh, drive the plot along, God forbid, yeah. and, you know, it's just sometimes a thing. things change. It's a
3: similar thing to the Eagles where you wonder
2: why he couldn't give them a lift in his sled. Because they wouldn't be big enough. Yeah. They're rabbits, for crying out loud.
3: <laughs> they're rabbits. Yeah, think about it. The 13 rabbi- dwarves. Just think about it for a second. Okay, the thinking. rabbit sled gets from Mirkwood. Mm. It's, Dolgadur. Mm. it's a bloody long way. Mm. And it turns around and it goes back and meets
0: yes. them at... Uh,
3: On the, the other of the side
1: of Rimmendale. the Misty Mountains as well. How? It crosses the mountains.
0: I, I presumed, and I may be wrong here, but he can... Apparite.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Harry Potter. Thanks. Um, I don't think I just wanted
0: to really blend God. the two franchises together. He
3: might he might have uh He and the rabbits might have used the goblin zip line. That's, that got a <laughs> goblin from the Misty Mounds all the way to where the Orcs were and back. Right. Um. In about five minutes of screen time. <laughs> okay. There are there are a few sort of
0: chronological issues if if you break it apart. But but then there are Empire Strikes Back and we and we love that. We, we love that. We do. That. We don't care about that. Uh, but speaking of uh, of sort of Deus ex machina's and, and things appearing out of nowhere, um, a lot of people have obviously alighted on the giant eagles. Oh, the that eagles. That oh, it's at the end. The eagles. No, but let me finish. Let me finish. Well, Hotel California is a hell of Interesting. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because it's interesting to me that, uh, it, A, it happens again, uh, for one, <laughs> but B... It's in the uh, book. Yes, but B, uh, at one point in the movie, Galadriel goes to Gandalf and says, um, basically, if you get in trouble and you need my assistance, yeah, then just call me and I'll come. And so when I watched the film for the first time, I presumed that that's what Gandalf had done that that little moth thing that little butterfly thing was an emissary of Galadriel and he had sent it off to ask Galadriel for help now I'm told by Nick and Dan who are Tolkien experts that, that and Helen as well who's just looking <laughs> in Helen's also a Tolkien expert Um what the hell am I doing here? Uh, frankly, I frankly don't know uh, <laughs> yeah we're going to get
2: out <laughs> yeah, honestly, who's, who's, who's going to read this on my iPad
0: then? Um, <laughs> That that is not the case. That they didn't ask Gladio for help, which makes me wonder exactly how bad did
2: things have to get for Gandalf
1: <laughs> in order to
2: ask. <laughs> Twell
1: she, this prize. Typical she man. Was,
2: she was speaking in the context of this necromancer dude in Dol Gulda. She doesn't care about Smaug and the horde of Erebor. But
0: they, they were on a tree about to fall off a big yes. drop, and the
2: tree was on fire. For yeah. God's sake! She, so- well, he didn't need to help get Gladriel's help because he knew he was getting the eagles' help. Yeah, he had a he had a moth in his pocket, so.
3: <laughs> why, why would you want to talk to a, an elf queen? I everyone, don't. everyone knows if you're in that situation, you take the moth out your pocket mm. send and send them to the giant eagles. eagles come. Yeah. Sorry, I'd, 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 I'd love to see. I'd love. I hope there's a deleted scene where the moth goes and has a chat with the eagles. And <laughs>
0: like, wh- what's
2: happening when the moth flies off?
1: Please don't eat me! Please don't eat me! I have a message from Gandalf.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Do eagles eat moths, mm. Chris. That please, was, a, whole that was a reference back to to the Fellowship of the Ring. Do you remember when yes. uh, Gandalf is imprisoned by Saruman at the Saruman. top or thank? And yes. um, and uh, he he releases the moth and and the uh, the eagle comes and saves him. So yeah. that was why it was that's the, that's the relevant ruler. Rele- that's the relevance of the moth. Yeah, no, I get the relevance of
0: the moth. I just
2: I just don't know when he's going to call Galadriel. I just, well, he's I going to work- call Galadriel probably in the next film when they go to Dol Guldur to confront the Necromancer. I'm just worried about her. I think she might get
3: lonely. Curiously enough, I was googling. She's got a husband. I w- I was bored the other night, mm. very bored. So Not I was googling fact. the moths and the eagles and reading. You know, going back to because. People have some pretty insane theories about the moth. <laughs> really? Yeah. And apparently, if you freeze frame a shot in Fellowship of the Ring, you can see a moth, the moth flying around in the Mines of Moria, which I don't believe for a second, but there's a whole school of thought convinced that that's true.
0: This is Room 237 style.
3: Yeah, this is well, like there, Moth 237. I mean, there yeah.
1: is a god in the Middle-earth universe. Basically, the, the god basically sent the wizards who are essentially angels from the West to, to sort things out in Middle-earth for him. And, uh, and you know, bestowed all the stuff on the elves early on and they were kind of pre-Lapsarian uh, society. So, you know, maybe the moth is God if we're going to get into crazy I, I, see, I,
2: see, I always like the fact that the Lord of the Rings had no pantheon, do you know what I mean? Mm. I like the fact that there wasn't any divine but then if you read the Astaric. The well, you see, yeah, that's, that's, that's talking too far. <laughs>
1: We've lost Chris. I think we may need to dial it back a little bit. Yeah.
2: He thinks we're talking about Marillion now. Yeah. Sorry. The that. Eagles, Marillion, what? Yeah, I'm sending a moth to
0: book me a taxi. <laughs> me to, to get, um, all right, interesting stuff. Um, uh, I like the I, I like dwarves. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about the dwarves. Let's talk about the dwarves. Just, please talk about the dwarves. Let's talk about the dwarves because uh, there's no moths involved with the dwarves. Uh, mm. We've yeah, kind of so. talked a little bit about how they're all different from one, from one another, but mm. do we have a, a favourite? How do we think they worked as a collective?
1: I thought they got the balance about right, because I think when you've got 13 dwarves, it can get a bit overwhelming, and they, they, wisely didn't, know it. They, <laughs> they wisely didn't try to give everybody a big character moment this time around. They're all kind of there, they all kind of get something to do, but it's not like everyone gets the spotlight on him for, for two or three minutes at a time. There's just, you know, there's a sense that, that these guys are, you know, characters, are people, um... So I thought that was about right. I'm guessing that over given that they have got three films, I think we're gonna see more of them, especially I think in Merkwood, the early stages of the journey through Merkwood you know, that's where I think you've got a bit of time to kind of focus on the dwarves themselves without any other business going on mm. for for, yeah, for a few be, days of that journey. will be more
2: Bomber then, won't they? Because Bomber didn't really have any moments. Yeah, he did he, He's, he's really one of the, yeah, which the, is, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the big bigger roles. Yeah. Yeah. He broke a table. He broke a table.
1: But in the book, I mean, he's forever complaining about everything, basically. He's forever falling behind. He's mm. forever, they're forever having to wait for him to catch up, etc. And I think, you know, that's probably going to become more of an issue as as they kind of get to the other side of the uh, Misty Mountains.
3: He hasn't actually said a word yet. No. So it would be interesting, Ooh. maybe he's a silent character.
1: Ooh. Who knows? Could be interesting. Well, we know well he, has, Bitter, uh, Bitter
3: he has Biffa. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was has he involved, sung. He was involved. He wasn't, just doing, he wasn't just doing the beat. <laughs>
0: he's <laughs> he's, beat he's a beat. songs. <laughs> 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 That's his unique talent. Um, what do we think of the songs? And will he be singing again in two and three? I love that dwarf song. The that's what Bilbo Baggins hates song. No, uh, one no, one. no. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: There's a, there will be
3: uh, Elvish singing in part two because oh, um, that's what the, was... as they as they're walking through uh, Mirkwood, <laughs> we're going to really lose you, here, Chris. <laughs> uh, as they walk, for, spoilers. As they walk through Mirkwood, the elves uh, are, trying the <laughs> 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 uh, are trying to lure them off the path. It's not a spoiler that anyone. So they see could, the first it could develop somewhere. into some kind of rap battle at that point.
0: <laughs> That'd be it's amazing. Unclear.
3: I would really like to see that. Brett McKenzie
0: could possibly be involved in that. Awesome. Brett McKenzie, who uh, was in uh, The Hobbit as a different hot elf, uh, right? He wasn't the, no, same, the same hot elf? Same, 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 same guy. Hot same hot yeah. Lindia. Okay. P-Whip. Sorry, you give two
3: different names there. Formerly what? Figwit. Oh, that was it. Now Lindia. <laughs> I He's... call him P-Whip. You know why he was called Figwit, right? Of course I do. But
0: but refresh my memory.
3: <laughs> right, hang on. Let me let me actually try and remember this. <laughs> it's, it's Okay, okay. So Figwit stands for Frodo is great, who is that? Which some deranged <laughs> fan uh, came up with that acronym. Because um, he didn't after, have a name. After noticing him in there, because he's, he's just kind of standing there as mm. a kind of extra.
0: And did they notice him because he was Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords or did they notice him because he was Hot Elf?
3: That predated mm. uh, Flight of the Concords, that was 2001. Holy
2: so Flight of the Concords may mm. just have been on the radio cool. at that point. Holy cow. We won't be seeing the Fat Elf though, will we? Which Fat Elf? The Fat Elf, because the one that dies in the Two Towers.
3: Oh, I really like him. Yeah, he- Yeah, Haldir, that yeah. was it,
2: yeah. I really like he him. He won't be in this. He might be.
1: Could really? be. Could I be. Okay. I like, like
2: him. Right. Yeah. Why not? Okay. My favourite dwarf is Thorin Oakenshield.
1: Oh, nice. No, <laughs> My favourite dwarf is Boffer because he's played by Jimmy Nesbitt and it was delightful to hear a local accent um, suddenly in the middle of Middle-earth. Yes, because he's literally from the next town over from the one I'm from. I did wonder about where bizarre.
0: the, the dwarfs are. What? Hang on, Bofor's from the next town over, to you? Beaufort is from Coleraine.
1: Coleraine, Col you, <laughs> 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 Col you know, it's in the Iron Hills.
0: Good old Jimmy Nespert. Um Yes, no, absolutely. I, 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 I was always a little bit baffled by where the dwarfs are from and the sort of how wide an area they're from for the accents to be so different. So some are Scottish, yeah. Some are Northern Irish, yeah. Uh, and, and and Richard Armitage, Thorne Oakenshields from Yorkshire. Yep, occasionally. Mm. (laughs) And uh, so,
1: (laughs) well, I mean, you know, if you think about it, you know, the UK is not a terribly large area, and we have all these incredibly different accents. So, really, it makes sense. Just don't overthink it, Chris. I'm not trying
3: to overthink it. They're doing exactly the same Mm. as they did with the Rings trilogy, where the orcs were Cockneys and the elves were kind of posh British people, Mm. and Mm. the the men were Northern, essentially,
0: right? Yeah, -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
3: absolutely. Uh, Going back to the dwarves, I very much enjoyed. I can't remember his name. But I very much enjoyed the one with the ear trumpet. Because he was having a rough time. Someone was pouring beer in his ear trumpet in the first scene, and then he had to put tissue in it when the elves were singing. And then someone trod on his trumpet and broke it. But fortunately, he had a
0: backup. Oh, no. He had a a backup. (laughs) That was was really really worrying. I think it might be. Oin. Okay, so um, moving on. Movies two and three, or certainly the second movie, uh, is going to bring us Smaug. The, because it's called the Desolation of Smaug. But what which is a place,
2: about? which is actually a place. Yes. A place. It's a place. It's it's an a place. area
1: desolated yes. by
2: Smaug. Oh, that's what it means. because so yeah. moving into that area. It's oh, going to go into that area, you okay. see. That's why it's called that. So he's not being desolated. He's done the desolating. Well, he, well yes. there's also, yes.
1: there's an element of, you know, he's a, he's kind of a sad character in some ways he's on his own yeah he's a bit on his he's own not he's not a sad character really, at all. He's, he's all excited when the guy comes up and he has a chance to talk to him he gets you know a bit so i think he's lonely i think but he's just a, misunderstood he's really. the lonely mountain you see so he's, he's been, lonely because he's lived there all that time i wouldn't
2: so i wouldn't feel sorry for Smell. is he almost an
3: echo of Gollum? no and he's that you know Gollum is sitting in a, <laughs> in a cave guarding this thing which which he loves but he can't use right and Smaug is the same stuff. He's got all this.
2: Money oh my goodness! Yeah, but he's it, onto I, something. I, 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 actually, that's a good thought. But I would say that it's not quite the same because uh, Smaug is written in such a way. As, that's just what dragons do. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, I don't know how they're adapting it, but there is that sense that this, this is the you know this is why you hate dragons because they like to hoard treasure. But obviously, they can't do anything with it. But, but they hoard it.
3: We'll see what he does, what they do with him, because he could be played as a tr- kind of tragic character.
2: Could be. Mm. That would be interesting. I'm not sure how I'd feel about that.
1: It's interesting, actually. Uh, I talked to a couple of Tolkien experts to write about the, the writing of The Hobbit recently, and one of them, uh, Tom Shippey, who has written a very good book on it, look it up. Um, he he said they they describe Smog as wearing uh, a waistcoat made of jewels. Mm. Um, that he's sort of you know got on his yeah, body, and well, he says, pressed
2: into him over time. Yeah, haven't they? Well, Yeah, well, this is it. I
1: mean, he, he was saying, uh, did someone literally make a waistcoat, and if so, who? And and they've never kind of examined that kind of question. But mm-hmm. I, I, thought it, it pre- I thought it was press just pressed into him they, over time, pressed
2: into his
3: scales. But they
1: they literally, you know, they they're clearly there. Yeah. pretty solidly.
3: Wonder if he has a moth problem with
1: his wardrobe. <laughs> I guess we'll see in parts 2 and 3. I don't think I don't think we'll see much of him in the next film. I think we'll see a bit.
2: Really? I don't know. Because I This is a
1: wild guess.
3: I feel like they're going to finish the movie with that battle. Wow. It might I might be wrong. Yeah. But if it's a 3-hour movie, that's not completely insane that that could be yeah. the climax because you've got so much stuff still to go yeah. with the third one. I feel like if you put the the battle with Smaug and the Battle of Five Armies aren't you just going to put all the action into one film? I
2: mean, this is what I love about The Hobbit is so much happens. I mean, I suppose this is a spoiler podcast, so we can say this, can't we? Mm-hmm. So much happens after Smaug dies, mm. and it's a complete the idea of it being you know get the treasure, kill the dragon story, and it yeah. ends with changes Smaug dies. Yeah. And I and I love what happens after that. It's like it's really interesting. it's, it's kind of how it changes, and also the effect on Thorin. As well, mm. and I think Thorin's a closer parallel to Gollum than Smaug is, Ooh. for reasons which I won't go into right now. But I think he's going to have the Gollum elements okay. come the third film.
3: Interesting. But I think it would be a very cool ending for them to kind of almost complete the quest at the end of the second film, and then almost kind of come out and see all this, all these armies approaching, yeah. and that'd be
2: pretty. Yeah, yeah. It's, I it's, think it's, it's a power vacuum. vacuum. That's what I love about it: the yeah. idea that Smaug dies. There's a power vacuum. All of a sudden, there's this, there's this. Basically, it's a country's economy sitting there unclaimed. Except now you've got thirteen dwarves sat on it, and all, like everyone else is going, oh, "Hang on a minute!" You know, we want a piece of that. And how are they going to keep hold of it? Yeah. Exactly.
0: You and Phil, as you uh, as you know, you were there. You interviewed uh, Richard Armitage, Anti Circus, Martin Freeman for the podcast, and you asked him. Uh, about Hobbits 2 and 3. And that information is in a new issue of Empire next week. And in it, Richard Armitage actually talks about they haven't filmed the Battle of the Five Armies yet. And they're going back later on this year. And I don't mm. imagine they'll get that set piece done in time for release next in in december i would be very very surprised so I, I I imagine that'll be in movie 3 I think oh, the, yeah. Bat, yeah, yeah, five, yeah, the battle of okay. five armies has to definitely has to be yeah. doubt. Okay. oh I thought you were saying that, that no small I'm saying Smaug I'm speculating die. that Smaug could all all the Smaug stuff
2: could be in the next yeah. one yeah. yeah. and then yeah, the battle of the so. five armies yeah. would be in three as a kind I'm of I'm not separate. sure
1: about all think, of it but I think mm, I would be surprised
2: if the whole second film is beginning and end
0: of Smaug I, I wouldn't be surprised either and and they're clearly setting up the necromancer as a as a big bad as well well this
1: is an interesting thing because of course uh Benedict Cumberbatch quite early on said something about his character being at the Battle of Five Legions, not A, he'd obviously got the name wrong, but B... Uh, sure right? luck, yeah. but uh, but b you know that sounds very very much like the necromancer actually plays a role there which would make a lot of sense actually to tie the whole thing together and you know so you don't just have gandalf going off completely separately dealing with the necromancer and coming back and facing this new battle you actually tie those two big conflicts together which would mm. seem you know if th- cin- uh, cinematically thematically would seem to work
3: yeah i think i think a lot of the p- the complaints from people that this film didn't feel like a satisfying thing as a whole and didn't have the huge set piece and scale mm. that the, the Lord of the Rings film. I think the films Two and Three are going to blow anything. They're going to knock your socks
0: off. I thought well, Goblin Town was pretty big. I mean, that was that was a that was a big one. Yeah, it was it was it was all right. I don't yeah. think it was Helm's Deep. I don't think it was Pelennor Fields.
3: No, it I don't, wasn't. I don't but think it, it didn't it have even the, the mines more. It
0: didn't have the tone of those those set pieces either. I mean, there's a bit of a knockabout romp. Yeah. I thought, you know, especially the last hour or so, but the action is pretty relentless on the scale of Goblin Town, just the sheer depth and, and the complexity of the of the of the set, the CG sets and the practical sets yeah, together, sure. it reminded me of King was, Kong was Fantastic. A lot of the yeah, a the bit. way he that he mounted it, yeah,
3: you know that that scene where Anne is falling down the ravine and swinging mm, from the vines yeah. and stuff. It was very yeah. much that Definitely that kind great. of set piece, rather than something like Helm's Deep that is just full on intense and you
0: feel like the stuff at stake. It didn't really feel like that. So the, the necromancer was interesting to me, very, very glimpsed, very, very briefly mm. in this movie. And we know he's Benedict Cumberbatch. And correct me if I'm wrong here. He turns out to be Sauron. Am I right in thinking?
1: Yes, he's basically kind of reconstituting himself after losing a battle a couple of eons ago. Mm. So, the the, Voldemort style. Yes. So the the sort of it taken a bit longer the, than. The, Lord it did of the Rings was written Voldemort. first, Chris. I know, Dan. I'm he's just trying to giving... talk to the kids, <laughs> Dan. Yes, I, um, did, I didn't know that. So, so he's sort of he's sort of kind of uh, growing up again and, and that's why there's all this talk of the shadow descending on the forest because his mm. his stronghold of Dol Guldur is at the far end of Mirkwood mm. um, and, there's that little and, line and, about and so it was there. once
2: called Greenwood wasn't it exactly. they say that and now it's it's kind
1: of it's kind of yeah. spreading so, so uh, Lothlorien obviously is, is holding strong because you've got Galadriel there but it's kind of spreading over parts of the rest of the, the wood and beginning to threaten the wood elves kind of domain as well and Sebastian and Sebastian is well, is Sebastian. one of the
3: yeah. It's interesting. We um we got to see uh, the Witch King of Angmar like mm-hmm. cameo. We did. That was a nice cameo. Yeah. So presumably, um you know part of the the kind of the mythos is that the Nazgul are all being raised from the dead. Yes, the ring
1: race are coming back.
3: Yeah. So do you think we'll get to see some more of that stuff
1: happening? It'll be interesting to see if we see them in action again. If we are going to see the Necromancer turn up at the Battle of Five Armies is he going to have the Nine with him to lead the orcs into battle? I mean, that's, you know, is that possible at this point? It it might make, it might feel a bit too climactic if that's possible. Mm. It might feel like you need to hold something back because the Lord of the Rings is meant to be a much bigger, much scarier conflict. So maybe you can't have the Nine there, but it's not beyond the realm of possibility.
2: I think there is going to be, there's another uh, element. If you go to the first Hobbit trailer, And there's a scene in which Gandalf is fighting somebody at Dol Guldur. If you yeah. pause it and look carefully, that somebody he's fighting is kind of dwarfy sized.
3: I think that's Forain, who's Forin's father, who um, in the book is driven insane and sort of living in these creepy catacombs, and he has the key to Erebor, which is where Gandalf, when he pulls the key out at Bag End, uh, that's where he's got it from. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether we'll get to see a flashback of that, because right. like, that is that is what I thought it was going to... Okay. Yeah,
1: I thought they were okay. going to explain that at that point in, in Bag End, that, that Gandalf was going to kind of tell that story, and we were going to see that flashback to him in Dol Guldur, but maybe maybe that's sort of still to be explained, or still to come. Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 Very interesting.
3: Yeah. Very interesting. So, so we're going to get to see Gandalf... Saruman, Radagast, and Galadriel are all storming Dolgador—that's pretty cool. That's mm. pretty cool. I can't
0: imagine Radagast storming anything. It's a very <laughs> <own> inspiring <laughs> sight. <site. laughs>
3: if he's got Sebastian by his side, yeah, if his brain's addled by mushrooms. <laughs> yes. Well, it's be, he'll throw <laughs> the we, hedgehogs. We're yet to see what he's capable of. I imagine that he'll—he'll he'll surprise us. He'll have
2: a Well, he can, He had that Gandalfy moment, didn't he? Where uh, the background went a bit dark, and and he said words of power. Ooh. Was that him? to make it?
1: Oh yeah, of course. You're, yeah, you're
0: right.
2: Yeah, so does, that he was,
1: he was w- a very good impression, Dan. Well done.
0: Thank you. <laughs> he, to fight off the evil, uh, that was the evil of the necromancer, right? Yeah, yeah that, that was,
1: was the
2: spiders of Merkwood. The spiders of Merkwood making That's right, a little yes. little cameo. Who are uh, uh,
1: uh, distantly um, related, uh, yeah. obviously, to Shelob? Their they were descendants, Shilob's children. Yeah, they're descendants of Shelob. Uh, uh, I mean, not yes. literally her children. You know, I'm thinking great grandchildren, okay, great grandchildren. Okay. So right
0: there were quite a few L O T R alumni in this movie, from. Obviously Gandalf and Galadriel and Elrond uh, Hubbard turned up for a little bit at the end. Mm. Um, and we can expect a few more on what did we think of those cameos. Did it, did it make it seem more of a piece? Was there anyone who was maybe superfluous? I know you said already, Frodo, you could have done without Frodo. Mm.
3: I, I, I love Frodo as a character. I just wanted it to get started. You wanted to get moving at that point. Mm. And, mm. It, and it, it took quite a while to crank up.
0: We're not going to see Merry and Pippin and No, and
2: they're, not born. they're not Unless born. Unless
1: they come into the framing device. I mean, in the framing device so
2: that's well I mean. the framing device ended pretty definitively just before the uh, 11th birthday party didn't it mm. where they are introduced I can't I think it would be pushing it a bit to bring them into it now
1: presumably at the end he'll you know? find the finished book I guess uh, yeah. we might cut back to that at the very end of the story which we kind of saw a bit of that already it looked like Bilbo had finished writing the story in a day
3: there was uh, but Nick, but Nick, Nick, while planning climbing a party. No, 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 he, Nick
0: explained it to me. He finishes it in in Rivendell. So yeah.
3: right. He finishes it. You see him, he goes, I finally finished my book. Mm. To Frodo when he turns up. There is some speculation about why um, if he's written this book for Frodo, uh, it starts off by explaining what a hobbit hole is. <laughs> which is kind of fair enough. <laughs> uh, if you go to
2: the um, extended edition of Fellowship of the Ring, it starts with Concerning Hobbits, in which Bilbo is writing about what hobbits are and what that's, have you. That's even more confusing. So, so I could imagine it's almost like that we could be part of the concerning hobbits. <laughs> Just maybe, in case Frodo gets bumped on the head by a
3: Nazgul and forgets what a hobbit is.
0: Let's be honest, easy. You know, I want to see Bilbo going out, leaving uh, Bag End, uh, looking for an agent, <laughs> 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 trying to get it published.
1: I, I think it was written for an elf audience as well, especially given that he finishes it in Rivendell and that he's living there for the last few years of his life, or most of them. Um, so, you mm. know, maybe maybe it's for the elves. He maybe he rewrote the chapter elf. one.
0: So who writes The Lord of the Rings then, in this continuity? Frodo. Frodo writes it. Yeah. I've seen nothing in what Frodo does or says in that, in, in that trilogy to make me think that he has the intelligence to write
1: he a 1,000 word
0: book. 1,000 word book. 1,000 words. Sorry, yes. Twitter, Twitter has uh, <laughs> <it's> really shrunk <laughs> my uh, 1,000 page <laughs> book. Yeah. Or three books. <laughs> Helen. Her love of the halfling's weed has addled her
1: mind. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped my phone, all right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, okay, yes. Uh, so who else can we expect to see then? Uh, well, We're going we to yeah. we see Legolas. We are going to see Legolas.
3: Who else is going to turn up?
2: Well, we're going to have Bjorn, although it's not a returning character. He's 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 gonna he's a key person in the next film.
3: They they did think about bringing um, Arwen and Aragorn back. Philippa Boynes told us that. I did. Really? Decided, decided oh. against it.
0: Okay. Can I just say, because um, uh, this movie doesn't have a, a love story or really any strong female characters. Mm. That's just, I guess, by dint into the book, not having any. But yeah. I was kind of relieved not to have Arwen and Aragorn making Moon... Eyes at each other endlessly. I was kind of happy that they weren't in it.
1: You hard hearted bastard. Um,
0: but who's, who's Toriel? Tariel. Sorry?
3: Tariel. 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 I got corrected. Re- Tor- that is the correct that? elvish pronunciation, although it's a new
2: character uh, right, Yeah, for the film. Right. So Tariel. Hot. Yes. Okay. Uh, so she, is she, she going to be she a love interest for the... Thorin? Could be, <laughs> no, could you be. You know, because he hates elves, be. elves. He hates elves. I hate it. I hate elves. Oh, she's nice. <laughs> i love elves elves are great not a caveman <laughs> thorin oakenshield thorin hungry
3: I, I wonder if that would be um a, a dwarf elf love story would be uh too far going too far well, you I know. Mean, that would enrage people wouldn't it i don't know I mean, it, you know it would nothing you wrong with a bit of interspecies people have open minds these days nick
2: yeah
0: yeah, yeah. I, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying I'm anti the idea. I'm Don't just, be so yes. elf dwarf. Judge lest ye be judged. By Judge Reinhold. <laughs> um, okay, I've got a couple of last questions before we wrap this thing up. Okay. Uh, Dan, I know you wanted to tackle this one in particular. It's from uh, at Tim Smedley. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a fan started throbbing in your head when you read this one first. <laughs> when directors become too powerful, they make overblown fan of the epics that could do with a decent edit. Discuss. And that's
2: from at Tim Smedley. Well, I, you know, I think that is true in some cases, I don't think it's fair in this case. I mean, let's not forget that originally, uh, Peter Jackson was not the director of this film. Once upon a time, it was going to be a Guillermo del Toro film, Mm -hmm. and Jackson was quite clear he didn't want to direct it, Um, and he was just going to produce. And then, of course, Guillermo dropped out, and they tried to find a director, and and Jackson, as I understand it, stepped in pretty much, and Mm -hmm. then thought, well, actually, I can do something with this. So, I'm not quite sure that Makes it count as a as a great big vanity project.
3: I think I can, think he's referring to the the length of it and the the sense that it's padded out.
2: Well, like he's. Not, I mean, yeah, and again, it, it, I think I think it's quite clear that obviously he he may be the director, but there is quite clearly a team which puts these films together. So he co writes it, doesn't he, with Philip Boyens and with Fran Walsh. Yeah,
1: yeah. but working very closely. Yes. So I mean, come on. It, it, if he wanted it to be a shorter film, it would be a shorter film.
3: I do get the sense um, I did a lot of interviews for uh, a recent article we did mm. It was kind of a, an oral history of peter jackson 's life, and I talked to Jamie Selkirk, who edited the Lord of the Rings films and King Kong and is not coming back for this one. I got a sense that he does did have tussles, especially on King Kong mm. um, where he, he he was kind of saying he would go, oh, come on, Pete, we can we can lose this scene. We can cut this. And and I think, you know, it comes from a good place that Jackson, mm. I don't think, you know, it's he's not going, ah, oh, I'm doing what I want. Mm. I think he gets really attached to the characters in the story and, and he wants to put as much as he can in. For it. And there are a lot of fans that appreciate that.
1: Yeah. I mean, he said that much himself really but certainly about the end of Return of the King. He he, he pretty much said that he, he didn't want to cut any of those scenes out because he liked them. And he, he, he is aware of all the criticisms of the multiple endings and... and Kind of takes them on board and said, "Yeah, I just did this anyway because I loved them." And I think so. I think that's right. I don't think it's a vanity thing at all. I think it's just a being in love with the story thing. Yeah,
3: I mean, I do wonder if, like Tarantino, that he could maybe do with someone who can sit in the edit room with him and and say, "You know, we really need to lose this." Mm. Someone that he'd listen to. Yeah, Yeah. there's a sense that Django
2: Unchained is. is I, know, I mean, if I think a film's too long, then I, I, I will certainly say so. And I have said that about Django Unchained, and Dan, which, I, which I did really enjoy, just for the record. I absolutely love Django Unchained, but I just felt it was too long. I didn't feel The Hobbit, an unexpected journey, was too long. I didn't mm-hmm. sit there thinking, God, this is going on, isn't it?
0: No, I, at all. I, I, I barely looked at my watch. and I only right. looked at my watch really to to sort of mark what time things were happening. Mm. Whereas with certain films, when Nick and I saw a film recently, we were embargoed, sadly, we can't say what it was. But for the last hour, I was looking at my watch every two or three minutes <laughs> roughly sighing loudly and going I was looking shit ever every two minutes yeah. <laughs> yes yes um, and we'll discuss that when the embargo's lifted and then it comes out next, hey. next year yay fun um,
3: um, no I, I didn't think this was I didn't think this was too long mm. I, I thought there were bits that could have been tighter
0: definitely but I yeah. wasn't bored at all yeah. Really. I mean, at King Kong, you can really make a case of that. that just- I think King Kong, this statement, applies almost entirely. The overblown fan of the epic that could do with a decent edit, that applies to King Kong. Um, for me, The Hobbit doesn't apply. There are certain, uh, you could maybe trim down sequences. I don't think you could lose any sequence, because every sequence furthered the plot in some way. Every scene developed the story in some way, so mm. it would be very, very tough to, to lose stuff. Without the whole house of cards collapsing, even yes, the washing up song. Mark
3: Commode made a, a very funny remark on his his radio show. Uh, this is a film that could do with having its appendix removed,
1: which <laughs> is a very funny line. But I don't
3: agree with it because I, I think that that <laughs> stuff is going to really pay off in a way that we haven't seen yeah. yet. I, is, did, I did, you know I, all I, that I, stuff
2: you know, I kind of I, I said this in my review. I did feel that a lot of the, the cuts to the Dolgulder and the Necromancer stuff didn't feel relevant to. Bilbo's story, which is ultimately what this is, but obviously this has been made adapted as a prequel to The Lord of the Rings, and and those strands are being brought in. And I think in the next film and the film after, they will tie together far better. Everything will start coming together more. But because of just the nature of this first film, they just felt a little bit, worse well, it got to do with anything?" You know.
0: Can I throw one thing out there as well? We are talking about uh, movies two and three. And it's obviously called The Hobbit, but it's just saying it's going to be on a much wider canvas. And one thing that has always seemed strange to me about The Hobbit was that Bilbo, and this presumes knowledge of the book, so if you haven't read it, do, you know, read it and then come back, um, is unconscious for the Battle of the Five Armies. Uh, is that going to change? Do you think they'll change that? Can they really have the lead character of the, of the movies unconscious for a <laughs> twin? I what? like it. I like <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> I don't think he'll be unconscious for the, the full thing. I think we hmm. may see him unconscious at, at a certain point.
2: Hmm. okay yeah but they use, they use that trick in, in Game of Thrones season 1 to great effect I thought when Tyrion Lannister gets knocked out on the way into battle true uh, by and by doing that, they uh, got to avoid showing the battle, <laughs> which which saved them tons of money. Well, that's very very that's handy With the <laughs>
1: TV budget, but uh, might that's, not be yeah. quite so popular if you yeah. try it in the whole
3: It would be hilarious if they did show. They had an hour and a half of all the armies building up, and then <laughs> he falls over, bumps his head, and then it cuts to black, yeah. and then fades up. Yeah. It's, it's all finished. It's Gandalf going, "Well, that was fun.
0: You'll never believe what just happened to <laughs>
2: you." Yeah. Oh, oh, oh my
0: word. <laughs> The things we could have told you. Um, there's another question here. There's another leading question from someone I presume didn't like the film. It is from at despatch nater who uh, says, "Why wasn't it as good as it should have been? <laughs> uh, Way too much Del Toro influence in there." So this is I'd, interesting. Yeah. Now, how much of, of Guillermo is still in this film? And uh, is the, it mel- a good thing? the mountains, of stone, giant. stone,
2: stone giants, the stone giants were, were him.
1: I mean, I like that. It's in the book and it's just developed uh, much more thoroughly here, which I thought, mm-hmm. thought was great. Um, but
2: uh, I like to think,
3: with Pacific Rim, I like to think they're two little elves in the head of the stone giants. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Synchronized. <laughs> <machine>. <laughs> that would be delightful. Um, I, I don't think there's such a thing as too much del Toro, personally. Um, and I think you, you, see his, you see his touches maybe around the design of some of the creatures. It's been suggested that the Goblin King is, is a bit of a... A del toro special and, and that yeah. does kind of feel right it Sounds feels like a kind of grotesquery yeah. yeah that he would he would come up with um so i think it's mostly a des- design thing rather than uh principally for me mm. that's certainly where i well, he's still credited
3: it. as a screenwriter on, on this isn't yeah. he as well yeah he is absolutely do you think he was responsible for james
2: nesbitt's hat
1: yes undoubtedly <laughs> that's a good hat
2: actually <laughs> you know it's a good hat i like the hat is it a good hat yeah it's, it's similar to redegast's actually right if, if you if you look yeah. So there is definitely some hat similarity. They go to the same milliners. Perhaps. You don't hear that word enough in conversation anymore, do you? Milliners. milliners. Oh, milliner.
1: I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we may have answered this um, question. But I think
2: originally, um, yeah, del Toro had, an,
3: I remember reading a New Yorker profile of, of Guillermo, and he, he had yeah, showed the reporter his, yeah. his notebook, which had all these sketches inside, and his original um, vision for the dwarves is they all had spiky helmets with and sort of weird protuberances coming out of their armour and stuff. So that, that's all gone. I mean, mm. Jackson has said that he effectively binned most of what Guillermo del Toro uh, came up with mm. started again.
2: Yeah, they now feel more like the Time Bandits <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in terms of this kind of mad mix, although the Time Bandits obviously were constructed based on what they'd pilfered from different periods in time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they had that kind of feel to them, visually, to me. Yeah. The little goblin scribe felt like a del Toro touch to me. I mm. don't know if that's the case. Salacious crumb. Yeah, yeah. He felt
3: like something from a Hellboy film.
0: Okay, and I think we've uh, probably answered all the questions now that anyone has to answer about this film. Uh, mm. Sorry. All the questions that anyone has to ask about this film, which means that's it for our second Hobbit spoiler special podcast for more Hobbity podcast goodness check out the 41st podcast, week 41 for interviews with Martin Freeman, Andy Serkis Richard Armitage and then of course there's the Philippa Boyan's spoiler special as well so until our next spoiler special which by my calculations in terms of big, 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 big films is probably going to be Iron Man 3 in April although there might be something before then who knows, uh, it's goodbye to Dan Namarie no, what? Namarie no, what does that mean?
1: It's Elvish for goodbye. He's showing off. Oh, sounded good though.
0: Thank you. Mm. Uh, it's goodbye to Helen. Farewell. What's that mean?
1: Uh, it just means goodbye.
0: Oh, it's good. Uh, and goodbye to Nick. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm whispering to my moth. I was gonna, he's going to fly over to you and say bye. All right, good. It's goodbye for me. I'm off to hell. A giant eagle. See you next time.